But I said, you know, now it's time to look for a property, you know. I couldn't afford anything, but I was looking so much. And, you know, I wanted to find something to build, plant the vineyard the way I wanted, build a winery the way I wanted, but I started to count the money. I said, okay, that doesn't work. <laughs> and I came here, and right away when I opened the, the first patch, I see those trees, I see here, I say, okay, I think it's done. That's his place. And he was right during the middle of harvest, which is the worst time you can focus on that and do any business together. And he came back to me and said, okay, I really want to do business with you. Oh, okay. And then we uh, went to close to a deal and we moved in 17 of January. Welcome to the Winemakers Podcast. In each episode, we meet one winemaker and get the chance to hear their story on their turf. We walk through the vineyard, taste their wine and share a home-cooked meal. If you haven't already, visit thewinemakersseries.com to order your season one case, one bottle for each winemaker. Then pull cork, press play, and enjoy. Wine is the epitome of romance, and Guillaume Fabre may very well be Prince Charming. French, easy on the eyes, works with his hands, makes impressive wine, and he even named the estate winery after his wife, Solène, which is a story of love at first sight. Guillaume follows his heart in everything he does, including leaving a six-generation tradition of French winemaking to continue the passionate rebellion of French expats in Paso Robles. After a decade of tutelage under Stéphane Asseo of L'Aventure, Guillaume struck out to craft his own vision in Paso. The French presence expanded once more when Guillaume's younger brother also came over from France. Together, they started a new venture and named their signature wine, The Two Brothers. Guillaume applies the same attention to vineyard management as he does to his family. He's garnered a huge respect from his peers for his rigor, focus and precision. Most people say he makes the best Cabernet Sauvignon in Paso, maybe on the whole central coast. The story of what he's building will continue to be a fairy tale. So I always dreamed to do my own projects. That's, I always tell my dad, he said, you know, you see. And then actually I did what I wanted to do from day one, you know, start my own thing. But I always tell my interns, you know, always go for the hardest decision. If mm -hmm. you go for the hardest decision, you go farther. If you take the easy decision, it never brings you anywhere. From Seller Media, this is The Winemakers, Paso Robles, California. I'm Louise Houghton. Guillaume and his piercing blue eyes meet me at the edge of his estate, Clos Solen, on a stunning day in West Paso. Only a year ago, this property was a construction zone. Since then, it's undergone a complete transformation from the dead orchard he bought to the vineyard he dreamt about his whole life. This sixth-generation winemaker is now thriving on American soil and every corner of the property has been moulded by Guillaume's giant hands. You see here the, the vineyard, how it's laid out. So when you plant the vineyard, you have to go kind of follow the slope. Uh, you see here, we have to go up and down for the tractors and the vine to grow. Yeah. And here they follow the slope this way, which is pretty, pretty uh, obvious right here. You know, the, so we have kind of two blocks. So we have an alley over here, and uh, you know, the tractor can go this way or can go this way. 
And we do like roses too on the ends. Mm -hmm. Which look good too, like, you know, the French vineyards. I think we've painted a nice picture of how it seems to come into Clos Solen. Yes. This would be beautiful. And yeah. uh, in four years' time. Yes, in four years. <laughs> Please approach and, well, you know. it's already. <laughs> Shall we walk along Yeah, the maybe top? we should walk over there, huh? Guillaume's been in Paso for over 10 years making wine, but his vision only started taking shape recently in the form of a property, his own estate. <laughs> so you said, yeah, you want to dive into the story? The story of how you got to <laughs> California. Because you grew up, of course, on a vineyard. Yeah. How was yeah. that? Just... Uh, gr growing up in the vineyard, oh my gosh, it was amazing. I mean, like my kids is doing today, you know, they're like, you know, it's take every step on it and... But as the oldest son, were you sort of expected to take over? It was pretty obvious I was, uh, I, I was on it uh, because I was always following my dad. I, I have a son, he's five right now. He, he does follow me, but not as like I was always my dad. I mean, that was really every step. And when my dad wasn't taking me, I was crying like hell. Oh, really? <laughs> and so... Um, so you always kind of knew that that was what you wanted to do? I knew, I knew I loved that, yeah. I loved, you know, the farming, I loved, you know, the whole, the whole experience. Was like. It's worth re-emphasising that Guillaume is a sixth-generation winemaker. His family has been making wine since the 1600s. Guillaume himself was born and raised on a vineyard in Languedoc, an old-world ancient wine region in the south of France. So my dad had this beautiful estate in the south of France, but he was like a family estate where he was a bit tired to work with his you know, family, dad, and he wanted yeah. to separate himself. So he um, decided to move. So he looked at Provence, looked at the Rhone Valley, but things that were so expensive there. So he moved to, he looked at Bordeaux. And he did maybe the wrong things, like trying to, starting to visit properties without selling his own estate. And he finally about one and bought it without selling the other one. So it was a very hard challenge for him. <laughs> so 2000, he moved to Bordeaux with my mom. I stayed in South of France to finish my school, did a three years degree, and um, worked another estate, helped him to sell the estate. And when it was, I was done and finished the school, I actually went to work for an estate uh, for about two years, where the vineyard killed himself during harvest. So it was like a dramatic story, helping him. Oh, okay for two years and the son took over. He was, he was, I mean, he was tough for the family. So they called me and said, hey, do you want to take the challenge? I was 21 only. And he was managing like 100 acres, that gold medal all over the places. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I take the challenge. So I took, uh, I did that for two and a half years, yeah. And okay. the son took over after. Okay. And when I moved to Bordeaux to help my dad in 03, I said, I'm leaving again. <laughs> So tell me about moving to Bordeaux and meeting Solène. I was in south of France, visiting my family in Bordeaux in 2001. And went to church because we're Catholic, and then I saw Solène on the front singing at church. And my husband, that's my wife right there. That's how things started. You just knew? Oh, I knew right away, yeah. Aww. She was so young, she was maybe seven, 18, 19. And so, you were how old? Uh, I was 21. Okay. Yeah, well, like two years apart or three years apart. Okay. And so when I, that day I saw her, gosh, kind of turned everything in my head. And then my brother said, Guillaume, do you want to do a ski trip? You know? 
So we kind of set up a weekend on that, and then we were all weekend together. I didn't do anything, but it was really what you know I felt, and she felt also with me. Oh, she was there on the ski trip. So then it was a ski trip, and then you know things started, and then it was really fast. Actually, wanted to get married right away and all of that, and then. Her family and my family start to kind of battle together. So that's why I left and went to America to kind of do a, a cleanup on my head. But you still intended to go back at that point. Yeah, totally. But I never came back to France. <laughs> you know, okay. I, I actually thought when I was 15 or 16 uh, to do that, but more like in um, Argentina, Chile and those ones. Yeah. But you know, the idea was on my mind, but never thought I would jump on it. And then, you know, life, life happened and things happened that, you know, in uh, 2003, I took the decision to leave. But that was just temporarily, initially, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like intern for uh, 10 months, 11 months and end up to be, you know. And what was the benefit then of doing that, did you think? To do the internship? Yeah. I mean, the first benefit was the language. And after it was about learning what New World Wine was doing, because we in France in 2000, we took a huge hit mm -hmm. with, you know, Australian wines, uh, all the wine from America less because they're more expensive, but all the cheaper, cheaper ones like Chile and all of that. And I told my dad, I really want to see what's going on, what, what they do, what we don't do. And so yeah, sure, we'll come back. And they never did. <laughs> But you know, when I came here, I'm, I'm somebody very, um, I'm not going to cry or whatever. So I'm going to go. If I do something, I go up to the end. So I said, if I'm here, I'm going to do everything I can to really, really do things, you know. I immersed myself, didn't talk English, was super hard. Uh, didn't have that many French people like today. It's crazy. I mean, you know, you 14 years ago was like, I was okay. I go to church, I meet some people and then became friends. And then, you know, so you had to, Find your own place, find the language right, find your uh, friendship, <laughs> leave your girlfriend. <laughs> but I would always tell my um, interns, you know, always go for the hardest decision. Mm -hmm. If you go for the hardest decision, you will go always fine. You go farther. If you take the easy decision, it never brings you anywhere. So, I mean, first of all, the, the, the area where I wanted to come, like I said, it's more like was south of hemisphere, like Chile and Argentina. Mm -hmm. But nobody, you know, kind of came back from my letter. I asked if they will take me as an intern. So a friend of mine knew somebody in Paso, and he was this Frenchman, Stefan. He said, gosh, if I go there, I'm going to talk French, which I want to learn English, <laughs> you know, so. That's how we, the, the story started. That's why I chose Paso. So Guillaume's connection turned out to be Stéphane Asseo of L'Aventure, a well-established winemaker in Paso for over 25 years. Because of Stéphane? Yeah. You know, that wasn't so simple from what I understand because you had your now wife back yeah. in Europe. We took a year, you know, to separate ourselves, see really what we want to do together. And then, you know, four months later, you know, we called back each other. I said, you know, I really want to come here. I said, yeah, but, you know... Uh, the money, but I said, it's, it's done, you know, here is the ticket. We're going to start to Vegas, and then Vegas, going to travel a little bit, and going back to Basel. 
The Winemakers Podcast is supported by Winerist.com. Winerist.com is dedicated to making your wine and food travel simple. Discover experiences in over 130 destinations worldwide that are curated to fulfill all your wine and food dreams. You've heard from the experts. Now explore the regions that inspire them with winerist.com. After 10 years of building Closselin out of rented space in Tin City, Guillaume knew it was time to take the next step towards his vision. But I said, you know, now it's time to look for a property, you know. So <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't buy anything for the 14, 2017 because I couldn't afford anything. But I was looking so much like empty lots like this. And, you know, I wanted to find something that, like that to build, plant the vineyard the way I wanted, build a winery the way I wanted. But I started to count the money. I said, OK, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> this place was for sale for 10 years. Okay. And I said, what about this estate, Pipeson? And I called them, signed a contract because they said, you know, you need to be interesting to look. And yeah, of course, if I come, I'm interested. And I came here and right away when I opened the, the first patch, I see those trees, I see here, I say, okay, I think it's done. That's his place. <laughs> and it was right during the middle of harvest, which is the worst time you can do, a, you know, um, you can focus on that. And then we uh, went to close to a deal and we moved in 17th of January and then Actually, I did what I wanted to do from day one, you know, start my own thing. You know the name Closolene, okay? Yeah. So Solene's my wife, obviously, that you know. Clo usually is enclosed of rocks. It's a small property enclosed with a wall of stone all around. It's like very intimate, very kind, you know, um, small also. And then uh, when you come in, you have the vineyard. And my goal is to really to have Awesome vineyard, so I was like, oh my gosh, it looks so good. Already on the mine, when they come to taste the wine, they feel it's already there, you know, yeah. which is kind of sometimes not true, you know. Yeah. But I'm very particular with the viticulture and all that. And when you go in the tasting room, we kind of build that French feeling a little bit because it's my taste also. Our taste with my wife. Yeah. You know, um, I think from England, you have your own taste. Australia has own taste, America has own taste, you see what I mean? Like here in America, everything is big. Like you have a big car, you have a big estate, you have a big house. Here it's the opposite. It's kind of smaller, smaller blocks, smaller house. You see what I mean? It's like everything gets... More like quaint. You, more quaint, yeah, yeah. But nothing wrong about the other side, you know? Yeah. But just different. I mean, that's why we build this estate as our taste. And again, you're right, it's a French taste. And there's a lot of thinking, the soil. The height of the post, the spacing, why here, this sun, you know, what time is it? The sun is different. Oh, let's do that there. I mean, it's, it's, you can be way more simple. I'm not simple at all. The smell when you walk into this room. <laughs> it's a smell of a barrel, you know, smell of... Um... Smells yeasty, you can... Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. You can smell the fermentation. But your process is very different. You're breaking all the rules that you ever learned in France. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. why was their decision to do that? I mean, breaking the rules to come here, I mean, everybody can move to, you know, America yeah. or make wine or whatever. 
Uh, I think breaking the rules because, I mean, we don't break the rules much on the vitals because Paso area is getting very known for Grenache, Sierra, Morven. Even if Paso is planted with 40% Cabernet Sauvignon in the AVA. So we do mostly Rhones because those are very, you know, in the market today, very hard to run Paso. Mm -hmm. um, breaking the rules also because I do everything in barrels. I do everything by hand. And I'm a little bit too, too crazy, too fanatic about how my passion is. But when it comes to vine and rose and different exposure and things like that, I like to keep things separate, ferment them, you know, maybe together on some. But the barrel things, like, it's a big work, but it's cool. You know, it's like having hundreds of tanks, but in that, uh, you know, size. That is why, again, I break the rules. It's like how you have a big grapes, make it soft. That's why it's, it's, it's hard. It's a lot of things during the vinification, the planting, you know, the Grenache pouring in Sierra. I mean, no, not too many people does that. So how do you make it that way? Because, you know, I developed my own, you know, when I... This wine became, it's called the Hommage à nos Pères. So okay. it's one lot. And I always wanted to put Grenache and Vionnier. And my dad didn't do that. My older boss, Stefan, never did that. It's something I kind of say, you know, I think it will be the right percentage. And now we do on the blend, feel when we plant. We plant that way. A lot of people say about tannins that they don't like them, that there's something wrong with them. But the tannins give the flavor to the wine. The tannins are the frame of the wine. Sometimes you don't like this type of frame, but you might like this type of frame. So it's really that. Okay. So it depends on the style of the tannin of the winemaker go find them because the tannin is not built on the barrels, it's built during the harvest, you know. Okay. Like the pump over, I mean, how you work the juice and all that. That is when you make the wine. After it's done, it's the barrel of the job to do, to finish the rest, make it rounder. But I think the nice frame, I rarely got people kind of say, oh, I hate your tannin or whatever, because I think they are aware of what's going on behind it. So it's really depend on, on the style of the winery. You know, you've made these wines to be a little bit old world style, which right. you say, in the new world region. Mm -hmm. It's quite an interesting yeah, combination. I mean, the reaction of the clients are pretty uh, interesting, actually. They say, oh my gosh, it's like you are sitting in, uh, in Europe or in Bordeaux, especially for the Cabernet one. The Winemakers podcast is inspired by the winemakers of Paso Robles coffee table book. The Winemakers of Paso Robles Coffee Table Book is the perfect gift for the wine lover on your list. It took more than a year of interviews and photo shoots to make this 328-page large format book. It's the perfect book to curl up with a glass of wine and escape to wine country. The Winemakers of Paso Robles. Check it out on Amazon.com and at WNMKRS.com. That's WNMKRS.com. There are only a few first editions left, so get yours today. The Winemakers podcast is supported by Passarobleswineries.net. Passarobleswineries.net is the best resource for planning the perfect trip to Paso. Decide where you want to taste, eat, stay and explore all in one place with the only comprehensive map of every winery, distillery and brewery in the area. You can also find tasting coupons and hospitality discounts. Text SPECIALS to 24587 for coupons. That's SPECIALS to 24587. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Paso Robles Wineries. 
PasoRobles.net is the best place to plan your next trip to Paso. Arnaud is Guillaume's brother, who followed him to Paso, and they're talking about cooking our dinner. Meals at the Fabre house are a family affair. Arnaud and his wife and a gaggle of children colour the scene as we pass through the screen door into the kitchen. The ambiance is typical for a French country home. It's open, simple and fresh. The wood furniture gives a rustic feel to the cosy family environment. So the house is full of kids, huh? So come in. So this is my sister-in-law. Hello. Hello. Hey, Mathieu. Mathieu. Louise. And all my nephews. Hello. This is my, my daughter, Clementine. Hi, Clementine. <laughs> Mathilde, my, my sister-in-law. They all have such beautiful eyes. <laughs> so you're going to make some duck for us, is that right? Yeah, so Arnaud... Uh... Yeah, no, so, uh, you know, duck is something that... Um, uh, it's going back a few years uh, where our mother, every Sunday, was cooking a big meal for the whole family. So Sunday lunch in France is, uh, is something that very precious, where we were going to the church first, and then my mother were going to the market, the farmer's market, grab all those good ingredients, and uh, was cooking for the whole family. And the duck is uh, it's something we, we knew back in Languedoc-Roussillon, but that's something we really dig on uh, in, uh, in Bordeaux, which is the region southwest. Uh, it's been uh, very popular, and that's the main, I would say, uh, and meal you will, uh, you will enjoy. So what are you going to do with the duck? Who's so we're going to cook it with... So Who's the chef in the back, house? Back, back in France, that's <laughs> why we in oh, the it's the same thing. It's very complimentary. He makes the wine and uh, we, we, uh, we, cook? And we <laughs> pair it with food and we have fun. Uh, but usually in France, uh, on a Sunday, we were uh, cooking the duck on um, old vines, like dead vines, to get that smokiness. And uh, we were cooking with peach. Uh, peach is uh, very sweet, so I thought that was a bit too sweet for the wines. Mm -hmm. So we're going to cook it with turnips. Okay. Turnips, which is a perfect season right now. Uh, we're gonna cook it with yeah. onion uh, and easy going, and then that we're gonna put it on the barbecue. And then, which wine are you serving, Guillaume? So, we, uh, we open the uh, Binôme Les Deux Frères. Translated, Les Deux Frères means the two brothers. The Binôme label is a new venture Guillaume is working on with Arnaud. And this is a side project. That so, you're exactly. Doing. So, Binôme, um, so when Arnaud came back in a camp in America, you know, five years ago, mm -hmm. So when I knew I was going to leave our old location, I told him we should make something together, you know, like take, you know, this place at that time. And so we came up with, um, with a whole idea of what kind of wine we're going to do, like based with Cabernet, with our new now uh, legacy being in Bordeaux, but behind with different brands, play what our roots were come from with some Grenache, which we had a lot in Southeast, and some Tempranillo as well. So this one is a blend of 50 Grenache, 25 Cabernet, and 25 Tempranillo. And we really wanted to do that, to really also for the heritage, what happened in the past. You and told me you didn't want to work with family. I know, but you know, it was, it was an exception here. <laughs> Must be a good brother, yeah, as an yeah. exception to the rule. <laughs> And so that's definitely what well, mm -hmm. it's all about. 
the two of us being very complementary. Uh, the style of wine we made was definitely for food pairing. You know, in past Robes, we have a lot of wine yeah. that are great as well mm -hmm. without any food. Those wines, we made them for food. And so by picking Les Deux Frères, we really want to show the story behind it. And the, 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 the duck is definitely something very delicate, wide in the same time. Um, and that's exactly Les Deux Frères. Right? You have a lot of finesse and elegance, the richness of past rubles and the power through the talents of it. Mm -hmm. So it definitely complements each other. We want to continue here. And I think uh, our parents are very proud that we didn't continue in Bordeaux, but we are continuing the legacy in Passovis, and I think that's they are very proud of that. And uh, yeah. by seeing the success of uh, Guillaume and uh, being the rockstar winemaker in Passo, oh, don't say uh, that. We're gonna become red. Um, it's 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 uh, it's a good pride for our parents to see uh, to see that. We head back outside through the kitchen door to check the duck cooking on the old vines. So all of the vines that you put there have now just yeah. burnt down? Yeah. To this kind of charcoal look? Exactly, yeah. Right now it's uh, <clears throat> it's a bit too soft, but with uh, the, the fat falling on the wood, is gonna you can see the smoke starting. Yeah. Uh, that's going to definitely give a good taste to, uh, to the, the meat. And like I said, you know, uh, it's very uh, delicate, uh, delicate meat. You have a lot of whiteness into it, but it's delicate, so it will it will pair perfectly with uh, the wine. Is that done, the duck? I think it's perfect. In you have a yeah. Très bon. J'aime beaucoup. Oh, j'aime beaucoup. Guys, this looks amazing. I love how you've just served it on the chopping board. Very authentic. Seasoning now, salt and pepper. Yeah, salt and pepper. There's no spice on the meat, just salt okay. and pepper. Fantastic. But that's kind of what we, our education was more like family food, family style than very like on details, yeah. like refined. Uh, it was more like nice piece of meat, nice uh, complementary uh, vegetables, and, and that's it. Just uh, tell me now, why is it that the wine pairs so well with it? You know, on a, on a food, which is a basics, you don't want to have the food too sweet for the wine. The wine has to be always sweeter. Um, and here, it's more like a, a complementary and a congruent uh, pairing where you have the delicate meat with that smokiness from the barbecue. That goes really well with the fruitiness of the Grenache. And the fat, the fat on the... Um, on the meat, okay. definitely complement the tannins on the wine. Fantastic, so we get uh, to let try? Let me grab a fork. Yeah, please. Well, that's fantastic. Does Thank that make sense? Thank you so much for cooking yeah. for us. It was really lovely to be here in your family home. Thanks for inviting us in. Oh, your pleasure. It's actually the best day we have everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Your whole family. Mm. Even better. Thank you so much. He tries the tongue. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Do you think you drink every single day of the week? No, we don't drink enough. Personally, I don't drink enough. Do you?
The Winemakers Podcast is a production of Seller Media, hosted by me, Louise Houghton. Executive Producer and Creative Director, Lauren Matic. Co-produced by Louise Houghton and John Meek. Original score, editing and sound design by John Meek of 10 Minutes Early. Live sound engineering by Dean Lee. Additional editing by Miguel Coez of the Music Interval Theory Academy. And additional sound engineering by Brian Vasquez. The Winemakers series was created by Julia Perez. For show notes, links and more, please visit wnmkrs.com forward slash podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Winemakers Series. And please subscribe, share and rate us on iTunes. Seller Media.